Hi everyone, my name is Johnny McCormick and you're listening to Spoke. This week on the show I'm joined by Christian Zerone, the founder and director of vintage watch shop Theo and Harris. Christian started Theo and Harris a little over three years ago with just $10,000, and that's not a lot of money in the vintage watch market, and has since scaled the business to a place where this year they'll generate over $2 million in revenue. Christian is prolific on Instagram and YouTube, where he spends hours every week producing and distributing some of the best content about luxury watches available on the internet, so be sure to check out their channel. In our conversation, Christian and I discuss how he made the decision to start Theo and Harris, despite some scepticism from his parents, his love for all things watch-related, and what his longer-term plans are for Theo and Harris. Before we get into the show, I do have one more thing to ask, and that's to please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. That's the best way to make sure you'll never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying things, why not consider leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts? It's the best way to help others find the show. Now, without further ado, let's get into conversation with Christian Zaroon. Christian, thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with us today. It's a, yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure's all mine, Johnny. So, Christian... I must admit, I'm a massive fan of yours. I've been watching your um, your videos on YouTube um, since I discovered you. I think at the start of this year, I know you've been going um, quite a lot longer than that. But mm-hmm. um, my favorite series is Liquor Run. So that's obviously so the, awesome. yeah, the video series that you do with your dad, Roly, who I think is just an absolute legend. Um, oh, and yeah. you sort of you sit and you chat about uh, some watches over a bottle of wine or a few drinks. And for those listening that might already be familiar with you, Christian, I guess they probably find you through uh, your YouTube channel or your Instagram. But for those who don't know you or maybe um, don't know anything about, you know, Christian, the person or Theo and Harris, how do you normally like to introduce yourself? That's a really... It's a, it's a hard question. Like I, I am notoriously bad for introductions right? or in introductions, <laughs> right? Uh, my friends, you know, always laugh, you know, when we're at bars or whatever it is with girls specifically, you know, h- how do you say who you are in, in seven words without, you know, misleading, you know? So the best way to just do it is out, 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 out and out lie and say, I work for Google, right? That's usually <laughs> what I do. Uh, but uh, very simply, uh, you know, and a little bit more, you know, long-winded, I'm 22 years old. I'm from New Jersey. Um, I, I am very glad I made the decision to not go into um, an office space and work. I'm super glad I didn't go to law school. It's one of the best decisions ever. Uh, instead, I started a retail company uh, called Theo and Harris um, three and a half years ago. Uh, quickly thereafter, I realized that the best way to really build an impactful retail shop is to become um, a trusted and enjoyed voice in that particular, you know, medium watches in my instance. So we went on YouTube. Uh, when I say we, I mean, uh, Anna Griffin, uh, who is our, I guess our content editor or director, or like I said before, she's the CEO of my life. Um, and, uh, and, and, and become authorities in that way. That's how Theo and Harris has become, uh, an important company and not just, you know, someone who sells watches online. Yeah, that's great. Um, Christian, can you say a little bit more about, um, Theo and Harris to so tell us a little bit about your business, what it is that you do and the sort of content you produce for YouTube and Instagram. 
yeah, um, we, we I, my foremost job is I, I, I curate because I love to curate uh, vintage watches, particularly Rolex, Omega, Longines here and there, um, Tudor brands that are historically important of high quality and most importantly, vintage, right? Vintage watches are an incredible, wearable, durable, collectible insight into the past. And I can't think, in my opinion, of anything um, more interesting and and just enjoyable as kind of a uh, in an emotional kind of way right right now i'm wearing a, a vintage cartier tank right a tank louise which is you know a watch that has become totally famous all over the world and when i wear it i don't really care all too much for the time and of course the time is important but when i wear it i look at something that um connects me to the 19, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, 70s, right? It connects me to Andy Warhol, to Truman Capote, right? And that kind of sounds, you know, like, like bullshit, um, but it really is the truth. It's like this, you know, quiet bond you have uh, with the past, right? So that's mm. what I do. Um, that's probably the, the, the most important part of my job uh, on a daily basis. But uh, the company releases uh, YouTube videos four days a week uh, in different styles, some, you know, informative, some argumentative, you know, some, uh, uh, you know, just in different, in different, you know, ways. So uh, that's, that's what the company does, you know, on a day to day. Um, Christian, I'm really glad that you brought that up in the way that you did. And um, whenever you talk about the tradition or the history associated with the watches that you curate and the watches yeah. that you wear, um, because that's one thing that I really wanted to get your insight on today is this sense of tradition, history, and almost romanticism involved with uh, the collection and the wearing of watches. So I'm wondering if you can say a little bit more about why you think the tradition of um, timekeeping or horology is so important. I think that for the, the reason that, that it started, it's important and its presence in the world is different than why it's enjoyed now. I think I wasn't I wasn't around when watches started, right? But this is this is kind of my hypothesis. Men, a hundred years ago, seventy years ago, thirty years ago, whatever it may have been, had few people, but specifically men, had fewer means of expression than than you know we do now, right? Now you can have an Instagram that expresses every you know corner of your being, right? But if you go back historically, very few things, you know, very very few people had that ability, right? And I think that watches whether in, in intentional or or just you know uh, kind of in passing and people's choice of watches um allowed them to in one way or another express themselves right um mm. whether that was you know a utility right um my grandfather right someone who worked construction wouldn't have bought a cartier tank right if the man liked watches he would have bought a submariner right so that in, in its time was more so of a utility, but now when we look back on it, you know, we say that's a representation of a specific person, right? That becomes almost, you know, inseparable from our memory of history. So it starts off in one way, uh, you know, in, in maybe a utility or maybe in a little expression. And then, you know, fast forward, we look back on it with incredible romanticism because it's no longer a Rolex Mariner. It's no longer a Cartier tank or a Boulevard Super Seville. It it, it, that's irrelevant. The watch is meaningless or valueless. It doesn't matter. Um, it's what it represents. And now because we're so into looking for deeper meaning in things, because so much of what we consume is so superficial, watches are the perfect uh, subject 
that's why they're so important. Hmm, that's that's really interesting. Um, what was it, Christian, that sort of first piqued your interest in watches? Like, what sort of got you uh, first hooked on watches? I think that presentation is everything, right? I think that if you present something, you know, as if it's trash, it's never given the time, even if it is an interesting thing, right? Um, I my first watch I ever, you know, kind of saw was my grandfather's Omega Seamaster, um, which was a gift to him that he kept in a drawer only to be worn for weddings and big occasions, right? And when he, I saw it for the first time when it was presented to me, although certainly it wasn't, you know, kept in this safe or kept in this, you know, immaculate, blah, blah, blah. It was in its original box in a sock drawer and it felt like it was a protected item, right? So that kind of provokes you to look a little bit closer and wonder, oh, why is that so important? You know, why wasn't it just in the garage, right? There's a different, you know, there's a different kind of context. Fast forward, when my dad got his Rolex, the man cried. Right. And he was, a, my dad was 40 years old when my mom gave him his first Rolex. Um, my dad grew up really, really poor. Right. And, and the fact that he had this thing now, this Rolex, this, this zenith of, of, of class and achievement, you know, and, and, and the raw emotion associated with it, I said, whoa, that must be cool. That cannot mean nothing. That has to be interesting, which, you know, provoked me to look more into it. And that's when the real flood um, of study and passion began. Yeah, that's superb. Um, so, Christian, share with me a little bit about how that sort of interest watching your grandfather and your father um, sort of take care of their watches. How did that interest turn from, you know, this is just something that I'm interested in, watches are cool, to I'm actually going to devote my life to this. I'm going to create YouTube content. I'm going to start a watch um, company. Like what's that, what's that sort of tipping point where it goes from uh, passive interest to uh, all out obsession? I, um, I think at the time when I started Theo and Harris, which I was a sophomore in college, I only did three years in college and I was, I was my second year. So call it sophomore, junior, whatever. It was my second year. And, um, I had to, I had to do something, right? My, my, I was in most metrics kind of, you know, an unimpressive, you know, kid. I had, I'd never had a job um, or the two jobs I had had, I only had for a weekend each. And I was fired from both of them just for being an idiot. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it was kind of out of necessity. I said, wow, I've got to do something. Obviously, I can't work in things I'm not interested in. Let's name things I'm interested in. And it was a very short list. You know, it was my family and you can't make a business just around enjoying drinking with your family um, and watches. So I said, all right, watches. What do I do in watches? So I looked up, okay, like, oh, it's on Instagram. What do people do? And a lot of the, con- a lot of the content creators, and I use that word very delicately or very, you know, lightly, um, content creators were retailers. So I said, okay, they're, they're retailers. What they do doesn't look that hard. Let me do it. That you know, caused a snowball into, you know, oh, let me give it a shot into let's do this better than anyone else. Um, which do we do it better than anyone else? No, there are more important, more famous, more successful, more profitable companies out there, but damn it for a bunch of 22 year olds, we are killing it. Yeah. 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 You're, you're sort of clipping at the heels of the, the sort of the more established or the people that have been in it for maybe a couple of generations with their family, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, or, or the, you know, a lot of our competitors, you know, or were kind of equal underdogs, you know, they, they, they weren't in watches, they were in sales and they were grown adults with, with experience. Um, and let's say they, let's say they were our age. I'm sorry, not our age. Let's say they were equal experience. Mm. You know, they had the field to themselves for a couple of years, three, four years. Then we swooped in and we legitimately, you know, 
ruin ruin people's businesses. I mean, it's it's just the truth. I mean, it sounds cocky. It's it's just the truth. You know, while while thirty year old competitors or thirty five year old competitors were out drinking on Thursdays and real like you know resting on their laurels and making a lot of money, you know we were by our computers and we were, we were working our faces off because we had, we had nothing. I mean, you know, there was nothing to be proud of, you know, as, as a, as a 19 year old, I had nothing to be proud of, you know, so this has to be what I'm going to be proud of. And we just hustled our faces off. So how do you get, um, a start as a 19 year old Christian in the watch world? I mean, it seems like quite a capital intensive work world. So, you know, you're not sort of buying Rolexes for no. loose change, loose change in your pocket. Um, how do you, how do you no. get a start in that world? I started teenage with 10 grand. Um, I, when I decided I wanted to do it, I asked my parents if they, if I had had, well, I, I kind of knew that I had some birthday money saved away, um, from, you know, for the last 19 years, right? Like grandpa and grandma give you 50 bucks or uncle, whatever gives you a hundred bucks. And that accumulated to a little over $10,000, um, over 19 years. Uh, so I asked my parents, Hey, you know, can I have 10 grand and start this company? And there was a little reluctance, but I come from a very entrepreneurial family. So they said, all right, fine. You know, you want to risk it all, you know, basically risk everything you have, you know, fine, go for it. But uh, we're going to be watching, you know, which I, you know, obviously I, I thank them for Little did I realize at the time 10 grand was not all the money in the world. 10 grand is not a lot of money at all to start any business. Nonetheless, a business that really our competitors started with hundred, 200. I mean, I know a lot of our competitors now and who started off with a million, who started off with 3 million, who started off with, with uh, 90 grand or 150 grand. No one was 10 grand. No one was even close to 10 grand uh, or, or 19 years old. So so, uh, so really we did not have much resource, but I think we've made, you know, uh, uh, you know, much out of it. Yeah. So how did your parents take that question? So you, you said in your sort of your, um, introduction to the, uh, to the podcast that, uh, you know, not going to law school and not getting a corporate job was one of the best decisions you've ever made. Um, did your parents share that view or were they a little bit nervous that someone who was um, still in their second year of college wanted to take um, pretty much his life savings to that stage and um, yeah. put it on the line for something that may or may not succeed? Yeah, it's funny. My um, Both of my parents were very skeptical, right? And I've never gotten the full story from them on their end when I wasn't present. But uh, – and, and then in that I've heard that there was there were a few more arguments than even we had amongst themselves. Mm. Um, but – from my point of view, it was basically this. My dad grew up real poor, right? My dad literally grew up with zero, zilch, nothing, right? So, and ultimately, got became educated, went on to, you know, be a very successful, you know, man in 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 a, in a corporate world, right? My um my mom uh, grew up among entrepreneurs as well and experienced a lot of, although more success than my dad, more success than my dad's family, a lot of strife, right? My grandpa, you know, had a dozen businesses that didn't work out. My mom was a kid, right? So my mom is not nearly as risky um, uh, at that moment. As a whole, she definitely is not necessarily, she's not risk adverse, but at that time, there was a pretty big, you know, uh, tension in my family, right? My dad was basically saying, okay, I come from nothing. Uh, I don't necessarily want you to lose what you have, but I also know what it's like working for the man, right? 
that was his point of view. My mom's point of view was, you know, you've got to do better than me and my family. That's my mom's point of view. You got to go ed- get educated. You've got to be white collar. You've got to, you know, be smarter than, you know, myself and your uncle, right? That was her point of view. So I'm stuck in the middle here between two people that aren't necessarily adverse, but certainly not supportive. And it was a real weird time. Um, and then all of a sudden, one day I just woke up and I said, fuck this. I'm not doing it. Like that, that, that's, it's that simple. Like I, I'm done trying to read you people. I'm done trying to figure out what, what you're going to, you know, how you're going to support me or how you're going to react. I'm done. I'm making a hard line, you know, stance. And if you don't like it, sorry. And I think that that was probably the most important day of my life for, you know, for many reasons. Yeah. Did that impact your relationship with your parents at the time? Uh, of course. I mean, sh- you know, short term, we all hated each other. I mean, I- I'm super close to my family. I'm a little child. I mean, my family's everything to me. And for a solid year, our relationship was shit. Or may- maybe it was 10 months. Our relationship was nothing. My mom and I wouldn't even like hang out. We wouldn't even talk. Like she just didn't want to talk to me. And I didn't want to talk to her. Right. Which to me was just absolutely devastating. Um, my dad, very similar, a little, a little bit more lenient, a little bit more encouraging, but still very similar. Um, I had to succeed kind of in spite of that. And that was for me, someone who again, relies on his parents, very difficult. Mm. So how did, um, things change for the better? So I suppose, um, I, I watched some of your content on YouTube and I know that your, um, dad features in one of your video series, like I've said in the introduction, Liquor Run. And I think it's a great series and, you know, it's clear that you and your dad are very, very close and enjoy actually talking about watches together. And as I understand that your mum currently works for the company in some capacity. So how did things, um, get back on track or how did you get things to a point where, they're sort of against the business and now they're really, really supportive of it. I think, I think that, you know, I don't know how vulgar, I don't want to be too vulgar, but kind of the, the point is the point, right? I think when you, when you prove your independence, right? When you prove, um, to your parents, people that you've relied on for everything, food, you know, shelter, you've been entirely relying on these people your entire life. When you demonstrate to them, that this is your life. You're going to own it. I don't need your handout. I don't, you, you, know, I, you don't need to house me. If you don't, if you don't want to support me, that's fine, you know, but I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I think that the bond strengthens because I think that there's now respect, right? There's a mutual respect for one another. I respect my parents more than almost anyone in the world, right? And now they don't just love me, right? They respect me. And even in, you know, I don't want to say right after I decided that I wasn't going to law school, but let's call it 10 months after, right? The, you know, when our relationships finally started to get better, I think my parents just, they just looked at me different. They looked at me as someone that, okay, that now, now you are kind of, you're an adult, you owned your decision. And now, yeah, it's more than, it's more than you're, I love you. You're my son. I fucking respect you. And that was the difference in my family. Mm -hmm. Would you consider your business to be successful today, Christian? And can you speak to that any? We did a hundred thousand dollars in sales our first year, 300 our second year, 1.7 our third year. We're, we're a successful company. There's no doubt. Um, it's, you know, I, we, we grew and I say, we, I mean, we, I mean me, Anna and Aaron, our webmaster, no, you, you can't, you can't take anyone out of that equation, right? It really was a we thing, even though I'm on all the videos. Um, we turned $10,000 into several million, 
you know, I mean, it's, 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 you know, that's, that's an amazing achievement. Right. And I, I wrote that in an email the other day and which is kind of relevant, even though it's totally inappropriate to share private emails on a podcast, but I wrote an email the other day. I said, listen, guys, you know, we're approaching a, you know, a 50,000 subscriber mark on YouTube. We're approaching 50,000 on Instagram, right? We'll break two, 2.1 million dollars in sales this year. Right. That's great. And I, and I love you all for it. And it's, our, you know, certainly for me and Anna, it's our greatest achievement in our lives. Aaron's a little bit older. He may have achieved better, but that does not mean that we can stop. It does not mean that we can lower our standards, right? Because although we definitely are successful, we're nobodies. We're zeros. You know, we're not that successful. I mean, look at it. It's a two, two million bucks in a year is a lot in sales, but look at what truly successful retail companies do. They do 10, 20, 30, 40 million. So by no means do we have these delusions of grandeur that Theo and Harris is like this, you know, like ultra incredible, you know, retail company. We're doing well, but, you know, there's a long way to go. Sure. What what would you say are some of the biggest lessons you have learned in launching Theo and Harris? I'm an entirely different person. Right? I think that Anna is as well, and, and I think that Aaron is, but I am definitely I'm almost apart from fundamental, you know, personality things and fundamental, you know, still the way I do things, the way I see things are totally different. One of the most important things that I've learned at Theo and Harris that I that I can definitely share with people is Gen- and this is going to sound so cheesy, right? Because it, because it, 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 oh, anything is possible. But and I don't mean it in an inspirational way. I really don't. When I look at large things, I, 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 I can't handle them, right? I know people, some of my clients that have become good friends. They can talk about massive, complex companies worth t- dozens of millions of dollars, like in casual conversation, and understand them well. I can't, right? And I think that a lot of young people without experience can't, right? Big concepts are pretty difficult. Starting a comp- starting a retail company sounds difficult, if not kind of impossible or improbable or anything. Little do people our age understand or my age understand. It's very easy to do it. Like it's it just fucking do it. Like, and th- that's, that to me is, has been an incredibly, you know, uh, uh, important kind of lesson that I've learned. Just fucking do it. Like go on Wix, like, or, or, or go on Squarespace, start the company. You know what I mean? Like it's really not that difficult. And every day you make it a little bit better and that's it. Mm. Since Theo and Harris, I have made very bold business decisions, even independent of Theo and Harris because of the, you know, realization that now, okay, yeah, things that sound like they're really cool actually are doable. You know, they're, they're, they're real. You know, I can, I can look at things now. I think I break them down and look at them smaller and, and, and understand how realistic they are, you know, uh, and, and, and as a 18 year old, I didn't. So in short, And again, it sounds cliche, anything is possible, but really once you start doing something and actually get in the act of, of building it and taking action, it really becomes not just possible. A lot of things are possible, but probable and kind of easy to understand. And that's the Mm. advice that I really, you know, have learned and, and, and would give anyone. Yeah, sure. So it sounds like um, that process of launching the business and running it over the last three years has emboldened you somewhat. So it's given you that confidence to tackle things that are seemingly quite large. Um, I'm, I'm sort of wondering, Christian, what are some of the struggles that you guys have faced so far as a business? Oh my God. Every day has been a struggle. I, uh, uh, quality control on YouTube. Um, that's a big, big struggle on a daily basis. Um, uh, trying to 
be experts in multiple fields, you know, because you don't have necessarily the budget to outsource things like, you know, how probable is it that you are really good at Facebook ads, really good at understanding YouTube covers, really good at understanding, you know, uh, editing all these things, right? It's very difficult to, to touch all these bases. And when you're kind of a, a fairly complex company, like we are, it's very difficult to, 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 to manage all these things. Um, and we're, we're very limited. There's no doubt. Yeah. So do you attribute a lot of the success or a lot of the growth of Theo and Harris to um, going hard on YouTube? Because it seems like you guys invest a lot of time, a lot of effort, and probably a lot of money in getting YouTube right. Would you say that that's been a real um, generator or a real unlocker of success for the business? Absolutely. I mean, the decision to go on YouTube and not just go on YouTube, but go on YouTube heavily was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, probably right behind law school. Not mm. going to law school. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So I am a bit of a watch aficionado myself. I don't know a great deal, and actually, um, a lot of the information I get from um places like Theo and Harris, your YouTube content, um, Hodinky, and then there's a couple of um more local watch watch folks that I follow on Instagram who are based in um Northern Ireland. So I don't I don't know a great deal, but it's something that I've always um had a passion for and always been really, really interested in. And um I've never really owned a quote unquote fancy watch until this year and I bought myself um an Omega DeVille, which I'm absolutely in love yeah, I'm absolutely in love with it. And for um, anyone who's listening that's a West Wing fan, it's actually the watch that President Bartlett wears in the West Wing. But um, one of the things that I really want to ask you is, what do you say to people who just don't get it? So who just think that um, watches are a complete waste of money, they don't get why someone would be spending, you know, X amount of thousands of dollars or pounds on a watch. How do you um, respond to those people? Well, if someone doesn't understand it, they're not thinking very hard. Either they're very stupid or they're not thinking very hard. You don't you don't have to agree with it. I that if, if you don't agree with it, that's fine. I mean, I, I I that's that's perfectly understandable. You know, but to not be able to grasp, you know, why owning a piece of, you know, I mean, this is objective. Owning an important piece of history, owning an important piece of culture, owning some of the most impactful designs of all time, owning something that in many cases artisans dedicate their life to if you don't get that then i can't help you right that, that you know you you, you you didn't you just didn't go to school or you didn't read a book ever you know but if you don't agree with it that's fine I, you know, to those people, I say, hey, yeah, yeah. How much have you tried? I mean, how much have you you read? Maybe you have no interest in reading or trying, and that's fine too. But if if you if you do want me to convince you, let's sit down and talk about you know everything from Cartier to Rolex for for twenty minutes. You know that that would be how I would convert someone who's not all that interested in 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 the medium itself. Yeah, sure. Um, what is your favorite watch, Christian, or maybe um, the fit? So the favorite watch that you own in your collection, what would you um, gravitate towards the most? That's a it's re- a real hard question. Um, my favorite watch of all time is the Rolex Datejust. I think that from size to brand to design uh, to quality of construction, it's basically a 
perfect watch, right? What do I mean? Rolex is one of the most important brands ever. Um, the size at 36 millimeters is very appropriate for modern wrists, right? I'm not telling modern people who are accustomed to larger watches to, you know, get used to 31 millimeter watches, right? The movement, the quality of construction, it's durable, right? Unlike something from, again, from Cartier or from a, a vintage Hamilton. I mean, it, 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 it can, t- you know, it, like a Timex, it can take a licking and keep on ticking, right? Um, and, and from design, it's a watch that can be both dressed up and down. It really is kind of a watch for all occasions. So from that point of view, it's the date just from a sentimental point of view, the date just is what started, you know, what changed my life. I, I, I didn't, I didn't really get into watches until I bought my Rolex date just, and I think I was 18 or 19. So that was an incredibly impactful, you know, uh, 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 watch for me. So those are the two reasons, I suppose. Do you still have that watch that you bought as an 18 year old? Oh, the day just, yeah. Oh my God. I, I would never, I mean, you know, I would literally never sell. I mean, no, I would not even consider it. Why is that watch so special to you, Christian? I'm a very sentimental person. I am a very sentimental person. Um, if that was a shit watch, I would still never sell it. You know, it happens to be a wonderful watch and a rare example of a wonderful watch. Um, but the fact that that watch, staring at that watch every day, being mesmerized by the dial, uh, looking at that watch and saying, oh, yeah, like, yeah, I should read more about this. Um, that, that that was the catalyst for me saying, you know, fuck it. Let's do watches. Let's screw law school, yada, yada, yada. It changed my life. So, no, it's it's irreplaceable. Wow. So that watch was the catalyst in some senses behind um, Theo and Harrison where you are today. Uh, completely. Anything I do until the day I die is basically a product of that watch. Wow. That's a, that's a big statement. Um, Christian, what are the plans for Theo and Harris next? So you've, you've talked about your sort of your incredibly quick growth as a company um, to, I think you said earlier, you know, forecast potentially doing over $2 million in sales this year. What's sort of the next big thing that you're focused on as a company? Great question. Um, I don't think retailers are future, right? Um, we're a great retailer. We're a wonderful retailer. I love retail. Um, I think that, you know, somewhere in the twos is probably where we'll end on retail, uh, assuming that we don't go into incredibly more expensive things. But I mean, um, take away money, the, the, the dollars amount, the dollar amounts for a second. Um, the amount of transactions we do in a year will probably always steadily increase. Um, but I don't think that that is our future, right? The, the, the watch transaction business. Mm. Uh, I think that we have an incredibly captive audience, an incredibly passionate audience, and an audience that is very much so interested in in our, you know, the TNH kind of view on lifestyle and culture and and products. So, uh, you know, partnerships, brand partnerships would be the natural evolution of our, you know, revenue uh, as a company. So, um, talk a little bit about what a brand partnership might look like for Theo and Harris. Does that mean that you're maybe designing limited edition watches, limited edition straps? No, I, like it, it would be more so, you know, um, you know, Uniqlo, you know, which is a Japanese, I believe, manufacturer of, of clothing. Um, you know, Uniqlo is the, you know, is, 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 is a Theo and Harris sponsor for argument's sake. I wear a ton of Uniqlo. Suit Supply uh, sponsors videos for three months. Uh, Peroni wants us to, you know, drink Peroni on 12 liquor runs over the course of a year, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of uh, opportunity in 
you know, brand placement. And because we have a strong retail backbone, I don't, we, you know, we don't need to take partnerships that we don't like. We can be very selective. You know, I don't need to work with Peroni if I don't like their terms. I don't need their money, right? I just, I, we, we have a retail shop and it does very well, right? But it gives us the ability, the freedom to say, well, that's a really cool, no, that, that, that one, I'd rather spend my time with, with Stella Artois, you know, because their offer, not just money-wise, but their culture makes more sense, right? I don't think I would do an ad for, um, um, I'm trying to think of a brand that I don't necessarily like. Uh, I, I don't know. Think of a brand, American Eagle, right? No, I actually like American. I haven't worn it in years, but it's actually a cool brand. Uh, I don't know. Just pick a brand, right? Uh, Subaru, right? I don't think Subaru is within the Theo and Harris image. It's just a different culture, right? So if I said, now I'm going to hold out for, you know, for Jeep, I'll hold out for Jeep, you know? So that's, that's kind of, um, the level of, of, of freedom that I'm, I'm very lucky that the, that the retail business has afforded us moving forward. So does does that mean that you're going to start focusing less on retail going forward and more on the content side of the business? We've been doing that for a while. The retail part of the business you know, is incredibly functional and gives us a lot of liberty, but it really is it's a strong passion. I mean, I, I, I love doing it. I'll never stop. I'll always be very, very invested and very heavily involved in, in the curation of, of our watches. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love, it would be a dream to be able to create more and better content. You know, Anthony Bourdain, you know, God rest his soul. He, uh, I, I grew up watching, you know, everything. I mean, I grew up watching all of his content, all of his television shows and, uh, and the idea that you could write a narrative and tell a story, you know, for a living, that's amazing. And not always just to sell watches, you know, which is what a lot of our, you know, content, you know, ultimately, you know, is, you know, is, it's the function of a lot of our content, you know, it's just to tell stories. That's amazing. So that, so, so content would be a natural, you know, evolution for me. So Christian, I'm wondering if we can um, potentially slightly shift focus now away from um, Theo and Harris and the business and how um, that came to be and maybe focus on you a little bit more personally. So what one thing I'd love to know, Christian, is um, who some of the people are that have had the most impact on your life and why that was. People that I, people that I know. People, you want to start there? Uh, we can do people that you know, or people yeah. in culture, whatever, whatever you like. Yeah, I mean, my I start with people like it's isn't that funny? It's, it's just so much. Uh, I think it's just so much about me. That, that probably one of the things I'm so proud about is you know when you just ask people that people that have inspired me, people that have changed me, and I jumped over you know, much more important people. I'm going to trade to like my family, like my grandpa, my uncles, you know, my mom and my sister. And it's, it's, it's just, it's, that's where I really, you know, gravitate toward, um, my, my family, man. I mean, my grandpa is one of the hardest working dudes I've ever even heard of. Right. I, you know, never really experienced success worked his face off for his entire life to, to, you know, give to his wife and his children and to give them a better life. I mean, there is nothing that guy, you know, will kind of complain about when it comes to, you know, putting in the work. Um, my dad, I grew up dirt, 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 poor, did not need to go get educated like the rest of his cousins who didn't. Right. He said, you know what? I, I'm not happy with this life. I want to fix this and I'm going to, and did right. My mom, one of the most loving and maternal people ever, ever, right? A, a, a true matriarch, even though I'm a guy, you know, and I will never be a matriarch. I just can't help but to say, 
fuck, that is amazing that you are able to hold a family together through whatever. And I can't go into all the, but it's, it, it would, it blows my mind thinking about what my mom has held my family together through. Right. Um, all of my uncles, guys who more than anything, yes, knew how to work and things like that, but more than anything knew how to enjoy life. Every man in my family enjoys the hell out of life. So people, you know, make a joke sometimes, you know, in, in the entrepreneur space or people that I know, you know, some of these guys like to work to the bone every single day, never take a break. And, and they're proud of that and good for them. Maybe they'll have a lot more money than me forever. Good for them. But I can't imagine a scenario in which I don't regularly hang out with a glass of scotch and people that I love, right? Because that is so ingrained in my family culture, right? So the people I look up to, the people that have made me who I am, it's them. You know, you want to get into culture, then then we can do that as well. No, that's that's perfect, Christian. Thanks so much for um for sharing that. I'm wondering if you can share with us what the best piece of advice is that you have ever received and why you think it was such a impactful or good piece of advice. It's a real good question. And yeah, I, I guess the way I always handle these questions is I, I don't know what the uh, nothing stands out as the best piece of advice I've ever received because I didn't tattoo it on my back, right, or my chest. Um, but I think that's something that I find myself going back to very regularly, you know, is is this idea in my family, um, which has been said a thousand times and and just is constantly echoed is in actions, right? Is you know, we do the right thing, right? There are a lot of bad people in the world, and I did not realize that so much as a kid. I don't know. I, we kept a tight circle. Family never really hurt family. I didn't have many friends, right? I didn't really know how many bad, I, you know, make a joke of my family, garbage pails, you know, flea bags, jerks. I mean, just bad people there are, right? And and through all of it, you know, you're very tempted to kind of, you know, do kind of behave like that or 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 do the wrong thing or say, you know, screw them because they screwed me, yada, yada, yada. Um, and because I do so much, so many transactions and have so many relationships and business, you know, you, you, sometimes you're like, fuck that guy. You know, he doesn't care about me. Why do I care about him? Why do I care about doing the right thing by him? You know, he wouldn't throw me a, you know, a, a life vest, you know what I mean? Um, but because of the way I grew up, because of this, this, this feeling in my family that if you don't conduct yourself the right way, then you're not even worth anyone's time. You know, you're the garbage pail, you know, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're the jerk. You know, so that is to me echoed every single day. And that's like real street advice like that. That's kind of like, that's like, you know, if you ask the same question to like a kid, some of the kids that I grew up with, they would have told you the time that their dad took them up to Harvard and, and they were on the green and, and he said, oh, it's here, son, that, you know, that you blah, 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 I learned blah, 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 blah. No, like, you know, I grew up in, in the suburbs of New Jersey, but I grew up with, you know, like street people, you know, like not, not, you know, my, my family, my family's from, you know, the, the ghetto of Brooklyn, right? Like, like unquestionably, I, my, my, we are the furthest thing from, from, um, um, from blue bloods, you know, there's nothing white collar about my family. Um, so, so that's, you know, I guess the advice that I kind of received is, is kind of, you know, uh, very representative of that. Yeah. And it sounds Christian, like, um, family is obviously really, really important to you. I'm wondering if you can share, um, with us what some of your earliest or most formative memories were growing up. Like what are some of the things that really, um, shaped who you are today? Um, good question. That's a real good question. I think, you know, and, and not to oversimplify, I mean, of course, the Owen Harris was the most, you know, was the most impactful, but 
the, the you know, go right back to it, right? The, the, the amount, the sheer amount of family time that I spend as a child, you know, is, is insane, right? So er, 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 that, that constant, you know, um, um, uh, you know, um, environment, May, it really made me who I am. I mean, it sounds crazy. You know, I sound like a, you know, 12 year old girl, but you know, like I can't wait to have a family. You know, I can't wait, you know, I, and I can wait and I, and I, when I won't have kids anytime soon, I don't even know who I'm going to marry. I, I haven't had a girlfriend and you know, I've, I've played, don't get me started, but you know, uh, <laughs> don't get me started. But that to me is, is that's, that's, that's the goal. I mean, I, I do I, yeah, sure. Do I want to have 20 million bucks? Yeah. That's the number I have in my head. That's what I want to be worth when I die. Right? $20 million. It's an arbitrary number. It's a bullshit number. I made it up one day and I'm sticking to it. Right. But much more importantly than that, I genuinely can't wait to, you know, have a family, you know, to, 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 you know, teach my kids or, or, or do my kids the favor that my uncles and my parents did for me. You know, that's, that's really what I want in life. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. What is one thing about you, Christian, that might surprise most people? I, you know, I can't smell. Did I, you know that? You what? You can't smell? I can't smell. Yeah. You know, As like, in you have like no sense people, of smell. I have no sense of smell. Yeah. Like blind. I don't know if you ever noticed on liquor, when my dad sniffs wine. I don't, I just, I just can't smell. Isn't that crazy? Wow. No, I, I had no, no idea about that. I know that's not like the, the profound, impactful answer you were looking for, but that's that's no, just the no no one perfect. knew that. I promise you no one knew that. Yeah, that's perfect. Um so one final question um in this sort of personal section, if you like, that I like to wrap up with on the podcast is if your house went on fire one day, you know, heaven forbid, obviously, but assuming that your family, friends, pets, all that got out safely, um, what's the one thing that you're going to make sure you grab on the way out the door to save? I'm the kind of and this is so screwed up because you know I, I'm I'm not really materialistic. I mean, I guess I, I am. Forget that. I am materialistic. I, I sell vintage watches for a living, um, but. I'm the kind of person that would genuinely be in very grave danger if my house went on fire, right? I would, I would, I, I know, I don't even, like, you asked me that question, I'm like, wow, is it selfish if I grab one of my things? Like, should I just grab my mom something? Like, should I grab my sister her things? You know what I mean? Like, there's not, I, I would, I would probably die in the house. I would, I would be grabbing something. <laughs> you're, you're the guy that's trying to walk out of the house with too much stuff. Yes. Yes. I'd be throwing things out of windows. I mean, I would, and it's, it sounds crazy because it's not like, oh, this, you know, this pair of shoes is worth my life because it certainly isn't, but there's a level of naivety and, and there's this, wow, I'm making the decision that I will never see, you know, my date just again, the watch to change my life or, or, you know, my jump hour watch that my parents gave me when I graduated college or my Omega Seamaster they gave me for my first birthday. I mean, I can't even, you know, I would probably leave my clothes behind. I mean, if I had to leave something, even though I fucking love clothes, um, but yeah, I, I would die in the fire. Yeah. Um, so the final section, Christian, I like to just end with a couple of, um, super sort of quick fire questions. So you don't need to go into, uh, super long answers and you don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about them. So I'm just going to jump into them if that's cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So are you an Instagram or Twitter person? Instagram, not even close. Not even close. And, not even close. Um, I hate Twitter. Reading or watching TV to unwind and relax? Ooh, unwind and relax? Uh, watching TV. The watching office. TV. And what's your, The Office? I was just about to ask, the what's office. your go-to show? No doubt. The office. There's, I love The Sopranos. Sopranos is an amazing show. I rewatch it every two years or something like that. Um, but, uh, but The Office, no doubt. 
Wow. Uh, I love The Office, I must say. The American Office as well is um, is my favourite. Um, are you a city dweller or a countryside type of person? Probably will always live – when I say countryside, I mean like New Jersey. I, I certainly would not live further than that. Uh, will always live in the quote-unquote countryside or suburbs but need to be in the city regularly. Yeah, got you. Um, and the last one, what's the best gift – that you have ever been able to give someone? Probably nothing material. I don't think I have enough money to really blow anyone's mind. Um, but I genuinely think that when I come on podcasts like this, a lot of what I say is useless for people and that is fine. But I know for a fact that people have emailed me after listening to a podcast saying, holy shit, dude, that was that, that, you know, that meant everything to me, you know, uh, fine. You know, you convinced me like, I'm going to tell, you know, uh, tell my mom that I'm, I'm not going to be a doctor. You know what I mean? That's the best gift I could ever give anyone. Yep. That's great. I did say that was the last question. And I actually told a lie because I've just thought of another one. Um, yeah, if, yeah, keep going. I'm good. If you were to, um, come across someone, Christian that asked you, you know, I've got, um, under a thousand pounds or under $2,000 to spend on a watch what's the first thing that comes to your mind in terms of advising them is is the exchange rate that bad no it's not it's it's probably yeah, like 1500 dollars something like that. Shit, that's the first thing that went to my mind uh thousand bucks buy a high quality example of something don't uh buy a cheap example of something you can't afford that's my best advice with everything so what do you sorry what do you mean by that do you mean like don't cheap out on so like, a rolex yeah, get a get a really right, good yeah. something yeah, you, you, you can't afford a Rolex with a thousand bucks. You can't, you know, in, in, unless your thing is dumpster diving for vintage 1930s, 31 millimeter Rolexes and then repairing them yourself. Unless that's your thing, don't go near Rolex. Yeah, even Omega is hard at that price point. Well, no, it's not, it's not hard at two grand. It's, it, Omega is very doable. Omega is the best price point under two grand. Um, I think brands like Tissot under a thousand bucks are huge. Um, there, there are amazing brands out there but never uh, buy something, a, a bad example of something you otherwise wouldn't be able to afford. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great place to wrap up, Christian. Um, so before we end the show, I always like to give my guest the opportunity to share how people can get in contact, find out more information about you. Um, so I suppose it's over to you to close out the show with any links or Instagram, Twitter, YouTube accounts that you'd like um, people to check Never out. Twitter. Never. Don't you ever ask me about Twitter again. I hate now. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys can follow uh, Theo. You guys can follow Theo and Harris on Instagram um, if, if you like watches, right? If you're interested in seeing some of the incredible things that I get to see every day. Um, if you want to know more about me as an entrepreneur and, a, and you know, a more you know, me as the person, uh, you follow me along. Uh, Thelonious Zerone, uh, which is after uh, an old pianist, Thelonious Monk. And of course, uh, on YouTube at Theo and Harris. Perfect. Christian, what a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks so much, Johnny. This was awesome. That's it for this week, folks. We'll have another episode out next Wednesday. In the meantime, do please make sure you've left us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can connect with the podcast on Instagram or Twitter between episodes at Spoke Podcast. That's where we provide sneak peeks and guest announcements. Thanks for listening.